Now today I want to start off by asking a question. I feel like I do that a lot, but I, I kind of like it. Raise your hand here if any of you guys have like a, a hobby that you enjoy. You guys like doing some hobbies. For me, for a while, it was it was actually hiking. Uh, it it's not necessarily because of the exercise part. I've said that many times. It's not physical activity that I enjoy, uh, but it's company and and the view. And so there was actually a group of us pre-pandemic that uh, went on early morning sunrise hikes every Saturday morning uh, for a few months, um, and that was really awesome. But that has since dwindled. <laughs> Uh, maybe for some of you, it's, you know, it's baking or uh, running, there <laughs> running or gardening or reading, you know, it could be really anything, right? We all tend to have these hobbies that we like to do, and we like them, why? Because they're, they're fun, they bring us joy, pleasure, maybe they're relaxing for us, right? It's something that we do um, in our free time outside of work or other responsibilities. But the thing about hobbies is that they're generally like secondary activities, would you say? They're things that you do in your free time once you finish all of your immediate priorities or responsibilities, like taking care of the kids or, you know, cooking dinner or going to your job every single day. Then maybe if you have free time, then you will engage in your hobbies. Well, I want to ask you this morning, and I want to be real here, and I feel like we can do that in this community, but how much sometimes, if we're really honest with each other, do we treat church like our hobby? Church like our hobby. What does that mean? Where we we think, okay, maybe we will come and we'll show up. We might do that once we have everything else figured out. Once we've figured out all our other summer plans, then we'll come to church. Once we've figured out all of our work stuff and our school stuff, and and then we'll come to church. But only if we have time. Friends, church in the way that God intended it was never meant to be just a mere hobby. It was meant to be so much more. And the early church in Acts 2 is just a beautiful picture of that, a beautiful example for us to follow. Now, for the next six weeks, we're going to be going through a new sermon series called Better Together. You kind of get the gist of it, right? And we're primarily going to be rooted in that scripture, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. I think it's pretty fitting, um, especially as we're celebrating 100 years of what it means to be a church. I think it it makes sense to go back to the very beginning, to the early foundations of what truly makes up a church. And so our hope, the hope of our our staff and our pastors is that we will be able to learn from these early believers what it truly means to be the church of Christ, what it means to be in fellowship, true fellowship with one another, and why it is so important. To be honest, Looking at uh, our faith, looking at church in America today, I, I think it's very easy for church to become just a hobby. Somewhere along the, the way, I think we've forgotten what church really is, what it really means. We've often treated church as uh, just something that we go through 
a go-to from like 10.30 to 11.45 in the morning on Sundays and not one minute more, right? Or we tend to think that church is, is just a building, something that we go to. With the circumstances of COVID uh, and being sheltered in place for so long, I feel like we've gotten out of the practice of even doing that, of even coming on Sunday morning. We've gotten out of practice of meeting together, of being together. Being forced to go online, you know, now we have the tools and the resources to uh, stream and to reach a lot of people um, through, you know, the internet. And that is awesome. That is a tremendous blessing. But at the same time, can we say also maybe a curse? I'll admit it too. You know, after months of not physically meeting together, I got used to it. Like I am a very big introvert. (laughs) I like staying home. I have no problem, you know, just staying home, being by myself, not having to socialize, not having to meet with people. You know, I liked kind of just hopping on to small group if I wanted to, or if I felt like it, coming to church if I was feeling it that morning, you know. Maybe you know what, I fe- what I'm feeling to you. Maybe you guys understand. But like I said, friends, that is so far from what God intended and designed for the church to be. That's so far maybe from what even our, the founders of CLC in 1922 hoped the church would be. You know, like they, if you know their history, the, the founders of the church, they actually broke off because they were so devoted to the word of God and to meeting together that they broke off. That's what they wanted to do. So for the next six weeks, we're going to unpack all that and kind of deconstruct all that. We're going to dive really deep into these five verses and relearn what it means to be a church and fellowship together. Now, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, This is kind of a cool little thing that we're going to use as a tool to help us. Uh, To frame this series, we're actually going to be using an an image of a house. We often say and we talk about church as uh, meeting together in the house of the Lord, dwelling together in God's house. And so uh, the image of a a house is really there to help help you visualize different values, different parts of a church. Uh, Pastor Calvin uh, introduced us to this picture uh, a few months ago, and and we're going to use it throughout the series simply to help us uh, make sense of things. The way we've done it is we've broken it up into six different rooms. Um, And you'll see that up there. Uh, Be gracious about the the little diagram right there. I know that's not really how, you know, architecturally blueprints and stuff work, but just go with it. Um, we've broken it up to, into six different rooms. And within the house, we have the living room, the closet, the garage, the kitchen, the front door, and the front porch. Somewhere there are bedrooms, I promise you. Um, now, each of these re- uh, rooms relate to a different value that we see in the Acts 2 church. For example, take the living room. What happens in the living room? Well, that's the place normally where you gather with people right? You, you sit there and you talk and you have conversation. If, you, if you're a home group leader, maybe you're hosting, that's where people gather together to Bible study. It's in the living room. The kitchen is, is where we make food, uh, where we eat together, where we share meals together. A lot of our stuff, you know, we, we've got a lot of stuff. And so that's where we store 
place of giving and sharing to those in need. Kind of get the picture of what we're doing. Each week, we're going to go through a different room. And to uh, for next week, Pastor Kevin Hayashida, he spoke at our church. And he's the closet, which is here in intimacy with God. The following week, following week Pastor Wayne Ogimachi, he's going to come. And he's also going to continue with the garage. So uh, be on the lookout for that. It's, it's just, again, a way for you to make sense of the different things uh, in, this, in this passage. Living room. The place where we gather together with one another. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. We're going to read it in just a moment. Now, for a little bit of context, uh, this passage in Acts 2 uh, takes place after the crucifixion, uh, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has died. He has risen again. He has gone back up. And he's also, also given his last words to his disciples. Remember, command go make disciples of all, teaching them to baptize obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Earlier in the book of Acts, Pentecost has happened, so that's when the Holy Spirit uh, speaking, even though they spoke different languages, they started speaking in a way that they all understood. Peter, remember Peter the disciple, he gave his first sermon ever. And on that day, by God's grace, 3,000 believers were added and were saved that day. And then you come to this passage, the birth of the church. Let's read it together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's amazing, right? Can you just imagine, like, what a remarkable picture of the church. It's almost radical since we don't really see this type of church today, if we're honest. Right? You see phrases here. It says, everyone was filled with awe. There were many signs and wonders being performed. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their own property to give to those in need. Right? It, it, it doesn't say here they went to church service every Sunday morning and had XYZ events. No, here we, we see a beautiful picture of incredible closeness and fellowship, radical generosity and care for others. Lots of eating together, which I know we understand very well. Always meeting together to study God's word, to pray, fellowship, to worship and break bread. We see a people radically connected to God and to each other. Now, how was the early church able to accomplish all of these amazing things, right? 
Well, I really think the secret is found in verse 42. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. What does it say? Verse 42 says it's because they were devoted. That's the key. They were devoted, continually and intentionally devoted. Now, what does it mean to be devoted? What is devotion anyway? Well, devotion is one's commitment to another or to something through love and loyalty. It means you, you, you give your attention to it. You stick by it. When you're devoted to something, you give it your full attention. You make time for it. You're willing to even sacrifice things for it. You're loyal. You're committed. You're focused. Why? Because you love it. Because you value it. Because in your mind, you have come to the conviction that this is something worthy of your time. You believe in it. And so you commit to it wholeheartedly. That is devotion. That is devotion. So what was this young church devoted to? What was the object of their affection and attention? Well, again, in verse 42, it says, this, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, we're really only going to focus on the first part of that verse today. Uh, so again, a very short amount. But Pastor Kevin will pick up with prayer next week. But again, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The first thing, apostles' teaching. What was that? Well, that was essentially the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. The apostles are the ones, remember, who witnessed the life and the death and resurrection of Christ. They were the ones who walked with him every day and learned from him and spent time with him. They knew his ways. They knew his thoughts. They knew what he was about. And they were the ones at this moment who were tasked with teaching others. Remember, a great commission, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So these new believers in the early church, they devoted themselves, focused so much on Jesus' teachings. They devoted themselves to growing in deeper knowledge and experience of him. They devoted themselves to the gospel, the good news of Christ. You know, the message that Jesus himself proclaimed while he was walking this earth, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. You see, the first thing that marks this church is that they were first devoted to the spiritual growth and maturity of their faith. They knew that being in a relationship with Jesus had to be an active effort. They had to devote themselves to it. They had to devote themselves to following him and becoming disciples, not mere converts, right? When you say they added 3,000 in name, where they accepted not just mere converts, but true, full-on, all-in, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. What does that take? It takes devotion to the teachings of Christ. And so central to what it means to be the church is first devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing this verse says is that they were devoted to fellowship. Now, we hear this word a lot these days, right? Like, we often refer to the room next door as the fellowship hall, right? That's where we eat our snacks and we mingle and we send our kids there, um, right? So, fellowship hall. When, when I was at Cal, there, I was amazed because there were like 40 or 50 different Christian fellowships uh, that we were able to join and be a part of. 
right? So we throw this word fellowship a lot, but what exactly does it mean? Well, the word fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia. We've heard that before, right? Koinonia. And this means something like holding something in common. It shows up maybe about 20 times in the Bible. And each time, you know, sometimes there's a different uh, English translation for it. But sometimes it's sharing. Sometimes it's, you know, partnership. Sometimes it's contributing together, participation. So the general gist is that fellowship for the Christian is mutual spiritual partnership with believers who have a shared life in Christ. That's the big definition. It's not just friendly socializing and hanging out. It's, it's not surface level. It's not superficial. No, koinonia is full, intimate, spiritual unity that goes deep. It's essentially the prayer, remember, that Jesus prays for his uh, followers, for the believers in John 17. You remember that? In John 17, Jesus repeatedly prays for those who will be saved then and in the future, that they will be one, that they will be one, just as he and the Father are one. It's a picture of beautiful unity between believers and with God. So remember, we, you and I, we're relational beings. We're made in the image of a relational God who is the Trinity, right? God made us for relationships with him and each other. And just as close as the Father is with the Son and with the Spirit, Jesus prays that his followers would have the same oneness with God and with each other because of our salvation in Christ. Even Paul, Paul prayed about this, right? Paul prayed about this in the book of Philippians um, all throughout, really. He prayed that the believers would be of the same mind, Right? Have the same love, be in full accord, standing firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's fellowship. It's the fellowship that says, you know, here you are deeply known and loved. We are with you. I'm committed to you. We're going to stick by each other in the trial and in the fire. We're going to edify each other. We're going to encourage one another to be more like Christ. We're going to help each other and we're going to do it together. That's fellowship. And it's that fellowship that the early church devoted everything to. Now, why? Why would they devote themselves to something like that? Well, in one sense, um, when you become a Christian, you're adopted as a child of God. You're adopted into the fellowship, into the family of all believers as people who have a mutual bond in Christ. Right? That, that is a given. That, that's what happens. On the other hand, the reality is it, it's because it's so difficult to be a Christian in this world. It was so difficult for them to be a Christian in that day and age, if you remember. Right, can you imagine these early believers? Uh, they had just witnessed Jesus, their beloved friend and teacher and Lord and Savior, brutally murdered on the cross. Killed for what he stood for, what the message that he proclaimed. They saw what they did to Jesus and they knew what would happen to people who followed him. 
They understood that they would be living in an opposing culture that was hostile to their beliefs, that they'd be persecuted. They'd stick out like sore thumbs. And because of that, they knew they could not do it alone. They needed each other. They were dependent on each other. Right? This is very similar to what we saw in the book of Titus just a few weeks ago. If you didn't catch it, there's a very communal nature in Paul's counsel to Titus. For a people who are living in a, a difficult and opposing culture, Paul is saying, you need each other. You need to help each other. You need to be devoted to each other's growth and spiritual walk. Older men, go model to the younger men. Older women, teach the younger women. It's a group effort. They could not do it alone. And we can't either. You and I, we're invited into the same type of fellowship. Not just superficial interactions here and there. But true spiritual, devoted relationship. For those who believe, you have not been saved to now go and live your faith in isolation. Now you've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God and enfolded into his family, which is the church. That part was done for you. But the type of devotion to God and his people that we see in Acts 2 this type of radical generosity and sacrifice and love for one another, that's something we have to actively choose as a church to devote ourselves to. That much we are responsible for. So the question is, why is it so hard? We know that it's good for us. We know Jesus prayed it over us. We see that it's possible in the early church in Acts 2. But why is it actually so hard for us to live like that and to be like that? Well, that's the, the, those are the questions that we're going to try and answer in our last um, remainder of our time together. I want to ask two questions. Number one, what hinders our devotion to one another? What hinders it? What gets in the way? What keeps us from doing that? And number two, what fuels our devotion? So number one, what hinders our devotion? Why start with that question? Well, like we said at the beginning, if we're honest, how devoted are we really to each other? Do we sometimes treat church more like a hobby rather than a priority? Where we come and go in our convenience you know, when it works out perfectly with our schedule or we've got no other better things going on. We show up once in a while when we feel like it or when we need help, then we'll come. It's hard. What hinders our devotion to one another? Um, I, I came up with three things and I'm sure, you know, there are plenty more that may be more personal or relatable, but these are kind of the things that I thought of initially. Number one, Distractions. What hinders our devotion to one another is distraction. We cannot be devoted to God and his people if we are distracted by the world and its temptations. If we're more devoted to um, our, our jobs or school or sports or whatever, and we place them on a higher level than Christ and the fellowship with one another, we're distracted. We've got all our priorities out of order. 
Of course, we won't have time to devote ourselves fully to one another because we're so busy. We're so busy running from this and that. And if we're busy, you're not going to show up. You won't show up to things. And even if you do show up to things, you won't be fully committed and devoted in the way that the scriptures say. Remember when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, you can't serve two masters. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's true. You can't. We cannot be devoted to God and his people if we are distracted by the world and its temptations. Number one, distraction. Number two um, is pride. Now, I think this one can sting a little bit. Um, but I think it, it rings true for some of us if we look deep inside. Uh, inherent in pride is, uh, especially in our walks, is the belief that we, we've got this. We don't need other people. We don't need other people. It, it's actually, it's worse because it's heightened by our American values of you know, individualism, consumerism. My relationship with God is just about me and God. It's just my, I don't need other people. I don't need to go to things. I don't need to be encouraged by anybody else. I can do this by myself. Or sometimes we think, you know, well, that church, you know, doesn't, uh, it doesn't have great worship. So I'm just not going to go. <laughs> or I don't really like the style of preaching. So I'm just going to stay at home and I'm going to, you know, find something online that I think is better. I don't really need to come and be with people. Right? It's true. It, it might sting, but it's true. I, I've been in that category at times. But church, that is completely false. Like we mentioned earlier, we need each other. We are not made to go through this life alone. We were made for communion and fellowship with each other. So let us not be prideful to think that we can do this on our own out of our own effort. I, I was thinking, have you ever, um, have you ever like not felt like going to home group Bible study? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands there. Uh, I have felt like that before. Um, but I was just reflecting on this recent time. Um, I wasn't in the best place. I didn't really feel like going, but we went. And uh, Arjun was actually leading us in a Bible study on uh, Philippians 1. And I just sat there, and as I'm reflecting back on the experience, it's like I've gone through Philippians 1 so many times. I've studied it, I've, you know, reflected on it, I've done Bible studies on it. And in that moment, I, I learned so much. Because I went to that Bible study, and someone asked a question that was really good. I'd never thought of before. And I didn't know the answer. And someone else was like, well, I think it's this. I see it this, in this way. And sooner or later, the scriptures opened up in a new way that I hadn't realized before. Or maybe hadn't focused on as much. Right? I wouldn't have gotten that if I would have said, I can do this by myself and I don't need you guys. We learn together. We grow together when we are in community. The final one. Um, the final one I thought of is, is fear. Um, more, more specifically, fear of risk. Being devoted to one another takes risk, right? Uh, risk can be scary. It, it opens up yourself to the possibility that you might 
be uncomfortable. You, you might be challenged. You might be called to sacrifice something for another person, right? Being devoted to someone takes risk. It, it's kind of like that in marriage. A lot of people say that. Like, that's why a lot of people have a fear of commitment before getting married, right? It's like when you're standing up at the altar, you're vowing to be devoted to this person for the rest of your lives in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, till death do you part. That can be scary. You're devoted when things are great, and you're devoted when you really don't like that person. You're devoted in the honeymoon phase, and you're devoted when that person hurts you the most. Now, at least in marriage, you like the person right? There's a reason why you want to marry them. It makes it slightly easier. But imagine this in a whole church context where it's not just one person that you're devoted to. You're devoted to a whole group of people. And you may not even like them. (laughs) Hopefully you do like people in the church, all right? But maybe you don't click with everyone. Maybe you have different personalities or political views or um, you really just don't have common things at all. What, be devoted to them? That, that's scary, man. <laughs> it's easier not to take that risk at all. Being devoted to one another is hard. It is not easy. And I will say this right here. It's easy for us to read, just read the scriptures and think, wow, they just did it. I don't think so. I think it was hard work back then as well. But they were committed to it. It took work. It took effort. It will not happen magically overnight. So how did they do it? How did they do it? What is the key to being devoted to fellowship? What fuels our devotion to one another? I actually think the answer is in the very uh, thing that they mention in this passage. I don't think it's by accident that they listed this as the first thing. What fuels our devotion is being devoted the gospel of Jesus Christ, being devoted to the teachings of Jesus, being devoted to Jesus. I think that's what fueled them when times were hard. Somewhere along the way, um, maybe the longer that we've been a Christian, it's easy to start to forget where we came from or who we are. We forget the fact that we too were once lost and sinful and broken and messed up ourselves, is we start to walk a little taller. We start to think that we have figured this out. But the minute that we forget where we came from and what Christ has done for sinners like us, we've lost it. The church is not perfect people who never sin. The church is broken sinners saved by grace. And when we are devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when that is central in our hearts and we know it personally and deeply and intimately, we know who we are. We know who he is. We know who everyone else is here. Sinners saved by grace. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, I was reading this part and I was actually really convicted by it. He says, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not a sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? 
You see, when there's hurt in the body, when there's inevitable, me- inevitable messiness, because right, people and relationships are complicated, fellowship is hard. What is it that allows us to say, that brother is still a brother? Thank God for him. Thank God that we are both forgiven by the grace of Christ. That sister over there, that sister is still my sister. Praise the Lord that we have been forgiven by Jesus. What is it? It's the devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's keeping that at the center of our church, of our fellowship. It is devotion to the gospel that refreshes us each and every day that we can forgive a sister who has deeply hurt us. It's the grace of God that compels us to bear one another's burdens and deepest hurts. It's the love of Jesus that says, what's mine is yours. Take whatever you need. You can count on me. That is the church. And there's no other group like it. What makes the church so different and so beautiful from the world is that we're not just another social group that hangs out. No, we were meant to be wholeheartedly devoted to one another by our devotion to Jesus Christ. We are meant to be wholeheartedly devoted to one another by our devotion to Jesus Christ. Why? So that this place, whenever we gather, becomes a place where you know you can count on someone praying for you in your hardest moments. It's a place where you can be vulnerable, right, with your deepest sins and your struggles and, and know that you're not going to be met with judgment, but with grace and support to turn and walk towards Jesus. It's a place where you connect with others on a deeper spiritual level because you both know that you are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That is the church. That is fellowship. So what fuels our devotion to one another? What makes it possible for a radical community like we see in Acts 2? It is devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you devoted to the gospel and to fellowship or is church just a hobby for you? That is not meant to judge you or criticize or bash any of you today at all. You know, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. That is not the point here. I simply ask it so that we can start being honest with ourselves. Because only when we're honest can we start to move toward becoming the type of radical and compassionate and devoted church that God calls us to be. I want to be that church. I want CLC to be that church. Do you? Can we do this together? I encourage you guys, go home this week. Think about it. Wrestle with these questions honestly. And if it's a yes, if you're saying, yes, I want to be that church, and I know it's going to take work, pray and ask God to change your heart. Right? The church is made up of individual people, so we all have a part to play. So maybe ask him to reveal to you what is inside. Maybe it's, you know, reprioritizing your life and your priorities so that you're not too busy to be here and show up for people here. Maybe it's, you know, humbling, asking for humility to let go of that pride and to be like, all right, I don't have everything all together by myself. I need people. Maybe it's praying for courage and faith to fully 
be in community again and to open yourselves up to risk, sure, but really to the opportunity to be loved and seen and known by others and to in turn to love and see and know others as well. Let us work together to become the church that God calls us to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you so much because of who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that um, you have given us the church, that you have given us other brothers and sisters in Christ to live this life with. Lord, we pray, our prayer this morning is your prayer, that we would be one, that you would make us one in deep, spiritual, intimate fellowship with one another, Lord. I pray that you would be molding us, helping us to have the same mind, the same love, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, Lord. Help us to let go of distractions and busyness. Help us to let go of pride, to let go of our fear of being hurt, but really be devoted to one another by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be that church, Lord. We need your help. Would you be moving in our, in our church, especially as we're celebrating 100 years, Lord? We want to know what the future will look like, but we want to be that church, that radical church that is on fire for you, that is your hands and feet in this world, Lord. And so would you mold us? Would you challenge us? And would you give us your spirit that we can truly be that in this world and with one another, Lord? We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.